The journey we're taking is the journey within you. Everybody has their own story and their own journey to share. Every journey conceals another journey within its lines, the past not taken and the forgotten angle. The journey within you, where you will listen to stories from others sharing their triumphs and struggles that led them to where they are today. Welcome to The Journey Within You. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Sister Mary McGeehee. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. And I got the privilege of meeting her um, last month. I was asked to drive by a mutual friend of ours, Tamara. She asked me to drive the bus for the First Baptist Ladies um, for their retreat at the Benediction Center. And I was like, sure, I'd love to be a part of that. And it was a, a very impactful weekend. I was blessed to hear you teach us on um, the welcoming prayer. I believe that was the one that you talked with us about. And, yeah. and just learning a new way of prayer. And I, I, you know, I'm a praying woman and I love to pray. So that was very um, touching to me as we uh, got started that weekend. But Mary, I, I, you know, there's so many things about you that I want to hear about. And I know we can't cover everything, but um, I would love for you just to start with us um, where you start from and how it got you to where you are today. Okay. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to have you here. <laughs> I was born in St. Louis, Missouri in the 1940s. Uh, I'll just tell you now, I enjoyed celebrating my 80th birthday this Halloween. Oh, happy birthday, October. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was nine, we moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and went through elementary school there. I had two years of high school at Tuscaloosa High and then came to Sacred Heart Academy. Mm -hmm. In those days, the Benedictine sisters ran a high school and a two-year college, a girls' school. Oh. Both of them were girls' school. Across the creek was St. Bernard Abbey, and they had the boys' school. Mm -hmm. But... From the time I was a tiny child, I, I always had a strong sense of the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And what did that mean to me? It meant I knew I was loved, that life was good, I had fun. I might have, I, I know I fell down all the time and had red knees. Because <laughs> you were having <laughs> a lot of fun days. outside, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just got up sat there blowing that the, the yeah get up and do bugs, it again the bugs off my knees yeah kept going kept going yeah so, so life, life was good um i enjoyed going to church i don't know that i was overly pious would sneak sometimes into the church just by myself just because i like to be in the quiet a little mm. bit mm. but when we moved to the south the because I think we were only maybe one and a half percent Catholic in the area. Mm, yeah. So there were, I didn't have any Catholic playmates in my area. And I went to the Catholic school, which was a few miles away. So that was a kind of a lonesome time in my life. Mm. But this, the sense of the presence of God, I had a brother, John, who was three years older. Mm -hmm. He and I were best playmates. Mm -hmm. um, John was, mildly retarded and that he had uh, an accident at his birth. Oh. Now, I didn't know that at all. I mean, he was 
very full of life, always had new ideas and things to do, such as we had a sandbox in the backyard in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. and he figured out if he could burn some sticks, some boards going up, he could get some orange crates from the grocery store and take the slats off the orange crates and nail it up and make a clubhouse Mm -hmm. on the sandbox. Now, I got involved in it because I could ask the grocer, could we have the orange crates? Oh, a girl would get And they it. would get them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to sit on top of it coming down in the wagon. Oh, to hold <laughs> so them down. Fall off the wagon. <laughs> I love it. I can see anyway, that going down the road now. <laughs> <laughs> we, had a, we had a great time. Uh, when I was eight, my younger sister, Rose, was born. Oh. And I liked being mommy. Know, and doing things with her. Mm-hmm. So then, eight, then at nine, we moved to Tuscaloosa. Um, a bit of a lonesome time then, but all through all of my childhood, I always had this this strong sense of the presence of God, and somehow knew my life was for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, not many sisters will tell you that kind of story. Right, that they felt I mean, it so usually, early on. Yeah, usually they went through different kinds of struggles trying to figure out, is this what they should do or not? Mm-hmm. But somehow, da-da! There you are. Yeah, yeah. That's very unique that it did start such at an early age. And what about, did you ever share that with your brother and sister? Have you found that? I, d- I did not. Yeah. Um, I think I thought it was a little too pious. Mm. They then try to act, act pious. Um and it was just a knowing. Um, just trying to think there in Tuscaloosa. I went two years to Tuscaloosa High and then came to Sacred Heart Monastery for two years of, of high school. Right. And my senior class, half the class had decided they were going to be nuns. Now, in my mind, and I'm an introvert, so mm-hmm. I hadn't really talked about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't talking about it with those girls. But I, in my mind, I would go to college, and then I'd become a nun. You'd wait, yeah. Both of my parents were college graduates, and they kind of instilled that was an important thing in our life. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, But then half the class decided they were going to be nuns. Of course, they didn't do that. Right, right. <laughs> After they figured it out, that it means... <laughs> A lot they more. made me go to talk to the novice director and, her, you know, my thoughts. And mm-hmm. she was very encouraging. And I think there were four of us that actually did enter that summer. And I'm the others left fairly shortly. Right. You know, but I, and how I old were you stayed. at this time? I was 17. 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what's the process once you start? You said you went that summer. So what is the process of that as so, you go along? We have the first year somebody's here, we call them a postulate. And they're basically just a live in. Mm-hmm. You do all the things with the sisters, live among the sisters, but you don't have any, you haven't signed it up. Right. <laughs> You're just right. a visitor. Like an intern. So, <laughs> yeah. You get to see whether you like it, and they get to see whether they think you can fit. Right. And then after that year, you enter the novitiate, and the novitiate is one full year of retreat. Mm. You're not doing a ministry. You're not going out with friends. 
you're basically there at the monastery living a rather cloistered life mm. of prayer and discernment. Mm -hmm. And I just sailed through all that. And then uh, we have a, a period of being in what we call first vows that was a, is a five-year period. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and at, in, that's, in that phase, we actually did, I was, um, as a postulant, I started college. Not as a novice, I had courses. They were college credited by the sisters because we ran the college. Okay. But they were theology type courses. Mm -hmm. uh, then I went to school another year before I started teaching. Mm. And for seven years, in those days, the monastery had a commitment. I think there was the bishop in the area had tried to say every Catholic church needs to have a Catholic school. Yeah. All these children need to be in Catholic schools. So these little tiny parishes would have a little tiny school, usually four rooms. So each nun had two two grades in a room. Okay. Wow. That's <laughs> so that, that's a, that's a lot really. I mean age difference and trying to Yes. I didn't know what I was doing, but I, you know, <laughs> you knew did. it was important. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, what age did you have? Uh, I started out with fifth and sixth grade. Oh, and impactful that, years. Yeah, that's a nice grade to teach. Mm -hmm. the, the, though it was a, a, a group of kids, the boys prided themselves. Every teacher they ever had told them they were the worst class the school had ever had. Oh, no. <laughs> that's not they, good. They weren't bad. They were but they were naughty. Yes, yes, rambunctious <laughs> young <bad>. men. <laughs> now, these children attending yeah. the school um, eventually may take the same path, or that would just gave them the opportunity to learn more about it? Um, well, they were the usual Catholics from the, uh, that parish uh -huh. that we were teaching. Okay. So we weren't teaching them to become nuns or priests or anything. It was just teaching school, trying to get everybody to live live a good christian life mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. and how long and did you I do the we, teaching i did it seven years and mm -hmm. each year i was in a different school a different grade level oh my goodness so you learned you we, learned a lot yeah <laughs> uh, yeah we in those days it's like the monastery promised so many different schools that they would supply the teachers mm -hmm. so then it depended on what was happening to the life that the mother superior would assign you in the summertime where you're going that fall okay yeah <laughs> yeah so you then you had to prepare like right away <laughs> yeah mm. uh, after that i decided to instead of i really wanted to do theology i mean that was mm. the area i cared about and so i thought if i do a ministry in that so i became a religious ed director oh. and the parishes here in Alabama didn't have that, but Atlanta did. Mm -hmm. So I worked in Atlanta for two years. And what exactly and does that mean? A director of religious education would be, the kids are not in Catholic schools or going to any school, okay. but the parish supplies some kind of religious ed. It usually meant Sunday school. Okay. Or sometimes you had classes in the evening. Okay. Different mm -hmm. different churches did it different ways. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So you did that for a couple but, of years? Yeah. Say again? You did that for a couple of years? 
Yeah, just two years. Mm -hmm. While I was doing all of that, I mean, it was a lot of work. Um, I was going to, to, by the time we started teaching, we were not finished with college. So then as soon as school was over, we were sent to summer school. Mm. Fine. <laughs> so it was like 24-7, Yeah. you know, all 12 months of the year. Mm. I, and my heart just longed for a more contemplative path. So I, I think that my superiors didn't quite know what to do with this kid. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were wanting to do different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... Um, we had a retreat with Brother David Stonelrest, who's an interesting fella, Austrian by birth. Mm -hmm. And Brother David was helping communities of sisters in the U.S. set up houses of prayer. Mm -hmm. And he came and gave our annual community retreat, like a week one summer. Mm -hmm. And while, while he was here, we talked to him about what would a house of prayer look like. So he set up, we did one for like a month that summer, later in the summer. Oh, wow. And then coming out of that, I think there were, it, we, used, we used a building that had 11 bedrooms. So there were 11 of us. The, the former superior who had just gotten out of office, mm -hmm. the former novice director, oh. <laughs> they were in, in the house and all the rest of us were under 30. Wow. So we were all you know, new, new brats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we, we came through that and said, shouldn't be just a month in the summer. This should be how we live, mm. that we can live in a different kind of rhythm. That's, it's not so work oriented, so work driven. Right. So we, um, I decided what I needed was some more background in theology for myself. Mm -hmm. And the, the other rest of the group, they met every, like once a month, still talking about how to do this. And I went to college from Minnesota, got a master's in theology. Oh, wow. Now, how long did that take you? That was to, and I already had several summers mm -hmm. of graduate work. So I was there at St. John's for a whole year. Okay. And then when I got back, the group decided, okay, yes, let's do this. Let's try a house of prayer. So um, <laughs> the house of prayer was that six of us signed up to do it. Mm -hmm. And we moved to a regular house on a street in Birmingham and got ordinary jobs in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I did typing at a racket club. Um one of the sisters pumped gas at her dad's a golf station. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of them taught, but taught half time. Hmm. Had half time jobs so that we had lengthy time during every day to sit with the scripture, to pray, mm -hmm. to do, to read the spiritual masters, and. And it was life-changing for me, and I think for the others, too. Mm. And it, we stressed, we had said in our documents, the essence of our life was our daily prayer alone and together, living a community life of supporting one another, 
and third, some kind of ministry that could flow out of the prayer in the community. Mm, and what beautiful. we found missing was the prayer in the community piece. We wanted more time for those two elements. Mm -hmm. So we, we were very intentional. And that, that model just lasted for two years. And the different people in the group went different directions. Right. You know, they grew. For, my, for myself, I just felt compelled that there was still <laughs> I, something I still more. Had, yeah. Yes, I still needed something. So mm -hmm. uh, we had a sister who'd been visiting here for a whole year on her own sabbatical, just being in our house. But she was from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And she told me about a house of prayer that was up there that maybe I could, you know, and so I, I went up to the, it was called Still Point House of Prayer. Mm -hmm. I was there, and then I thought, I'm going to, I have a year off to do this. I don't need to spend the whole time here. As I was at the House of Prayer, I was meeting other people who were trying various explorations in this area. So I, I traveled a little bit in the Northeast just visiting one mm -hmm. place or another, mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to do this. So I'm still on this serious, you know, contemplative search. Mm -hmm. My folks were, by that time, were living in Virginia, the, the D.C. area. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was stopped on my way back. I'm on a bus. Oh, <laughs> I fine. Stopped there. Oh, stopped there and I got a phone call that said we've decided to sponsor some of the Asian refugees coming out of Vietnam and since you don't have anything to do you can take care of them oh and I'm like what? okay <laughs> what? and how am I supposed <laughs> to do this about? yeah oh my goodness <laughs> what do you think I've been doing for these years <laughs> oh wow and I got I got back to Coleman and 13 this extended family of 13 people arrived, and my life was changed. Mm. Um, within the first month, the local KKK came after them with bomb threats in the middle of the night mm. oh. and de personal death threats to the head of the household. Right. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, and where was the house? That, that was Where was it at? Well, first... The, the, our college had just closed. Mm -hmm. We had a joint college with St. Bernard by that point. Right. And there were empty faculty houses on the front of St. Bernard's property. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we asked about using one of those houses. So when, but when the clan made this threat in the middle of the night, we ran over there and got them out of the house in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. We brought them back to our monastery and we had an a house behind our big buildings. Right. So we moved the family into that. Mm. How scary. And yeah, yeah, it was. Mm. I, I'm not sure that all the kids realized what all was happening. The family was an old couple, their oldest son, wife, and five children, and the four youngest daughters in the family wow. who were not married. They were like um, teenagers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Well, as, as everybody was there on our campus and I'm working with them in different ways, I realized there was a struggle that had gone on between the oldest son's wife 
and his four youngest sisters. Mm. And I thought, we don't need to keep them all in one house. Right. So we moved, we moved the four girls up to the floor where I lived. There were three of us living on that floor. Mm-hmm. And we, we had our own little home. Sister Monica was great-grandma. Uh-huh. Sister Morris was grandma, and I was mom. Aw. And <laughs> they had it all set. And, and Morris had been my novice director. She she, she called them the little women. The little women. <laughs> and she, so they were just, they would, um, two of them went to school, and two of them we found jobs for. Mm-hmm. They were beginning their life. They would eat with the sisters. And it was, it's probably some of the most rewarding work in my whole life. And I would say, why was that? Because it was developing the maternal in me. Mm. Mm. And just lovely, lovely young women. They're still, still my girls. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) They'll always be. You impacted their lives. <laughs> yeah. You impacted their lives big time. I mean, that's something they'll never forget. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, me, me neither. Yeah. Are they still in the area then or they've gone their way? No. Or? After um, they lived, everybody lived here two years. And then the oldest son, the head of the household, decided he wanted to go to California. Mm. That They had a lot of relatives that had settled in California. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the the girls said, no, we're not going with you. And uh, some of the sisters were helping them relocate to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And so the parents said, well, we're not leaving our girls. Oh, dear. So not going so to the, California. The old, <laughs> the old couple and the four girls moved to a house in Birmingham. And in time, three out of the four have arranged marriages. Wow, one, that's so weird, isn't it? I mean, uh... Well, yeah, I visited one day, and they were. Uh, let me see how this goes. This, this, the oldest one was named Bowie. Mm-hmm. The second one was mildly retarded, mm-hmm. Han, and then the two younger ones were the ones two in school, in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I visited one time, and they told me that the one that was a mildly retarded was getting married. Oh. And I said, now what? Yeah. There, she's getting married. And I said, who is she marrying? Well, this fella had come up from New Orleans, and he took her out one weekend. He drove up. He, the only day he had off was Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. He, he drove up. He looked her over, took her out to lunch, went, drove back home, and then called and said, yes, that's the one I want. Mm. And he was coming back a month later, to marry. and they were to be married. And mm. I, I was hysterical. Yeah. And they, looked, they all looked at me so puzzled. You know, don't, no, don't worry, Sister Mary. We know his family. The family was in Vietnam in the same place where we lived. We know he's okay. Mm. We know the Chinese astrology is just right. Our sister who does that assured us she went look to the sun and the moon and the stars and i'm being hysterical still i I said you're you're sending han to new orleans and who what family does he have here well he has his brother you're sending han with two guys Mm. 
how, how is she going to know anything to do? Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, I would have been so such a mess, worried. <laughs> well, off she went. Mm -mm. The guy arrived. I was there for the, the wedding. Mm. Um, <laughs> so it was... Yeah, that had to be but, really strange, too, and scary for you to think, here she goes, what's going to happen to her now? Yes, and I have to say, she's had a wonderful marriage. She had has five children who are all grown, of course. Right. They have children. I mean, it's been a wonderful family. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's <laughs> reassuring. Yes, yes. <laughs> that it didn't I mean, take they, like it was supposed to. Uh-huh. None of her family lived anywhere near New Orleans. Hmm. As each girl married with arranged marriages, one moved to Minneapolis, one to Houston, on in New Orleans, and the youngest daughter, Ming, never married. Hmm. She, she was burned as a child uh, in an accident mm -hmm. one evening. Mm -hmm. She was with her mother at the next door neighbors, and the neighbor's lantern was her kerosene lantern was going out and the oh, woman no. had this child hold the lantern as she poured oil oh, in it. Goodness, no. Mm. And the oil caught fire in the woman threw it and went down her whole body. Mm. That had to be the part that, that you could see easily was her mouth and her chin. Right. I mean, she was marked there. The rest of the, her body healed up. Okay. Mm. But there, so she always hung her head down. And I think I knew them maybe t 10 years because the family never treated her any differently. But I think I knew her 10 years before I realized she would never, ever marry. Yeah. She was outcast by the Chinese culture. That's sad. <laughs> I don't think the family felt that way toward her. But, right, right. But, but she knew culture. it because that's how everybody treated her. Mm -hmm. And the culture, not her own family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that's sad. And I, is she still in the so, area, or did you say? She well, she she's the only one that worked her way through college, became a programmer, mm -hmm. and has earned her living. Been independent all these years since. Um, they just had. She eventually moved out to California and bought her own home. Oh, that's and great. took care of her parents. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be the one to remember the parents had lived with them. and mm -hmm. But she, the parents wanted to be in California, so she decided to go to California, bought a home, and took care of them till they died. <clears throat> that's precious. And she recently, it's her, it's her home that's kind of the family gathering spot. Yeah, They had a so. big family reunion. Mm -hmm. Oh. And so then what came next after all that? <clears throat> okay. Well, that... The experience with the KKK was a, a major turning point because it made me, for the first time, sit down, go to some civil rights meetings mm -hmm. to understand racism mm. and what is this with the KKK. Right, right. I, I hadn't ever really explored that area. I've lived a white, very white life. Right, right. I mean, you don't, and, you don't think, why do I um, need to know about that, you know? <laughs> And I'm look. I'm talking for the first time to African Americans, and they're, you really want to know? We'll tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, I want to know. Yeah. <clears throat> it totally opened my eyes to things I would never have directions I would never have thought of, mm. 
um, and beginning the whole process and identifying the need not just for charity within churches, but for social justice. Right. To look at what what are the cause of things that are going on that are not right in our society. Mm. How do how do you unpack that and how do you begin change? Changing it. Yeah. And so I became the within a few years, the director of the Peace and Justice Office in the Diocese. Now, I would never in my wildest imagination have dreamed that I'd be going in that direction. I'm a contemplative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, it was it was the hand of God doing all of that. Mm-hmm. But it was thrilling in my own life to meet so many different people. Um to under to hear stories, to walk some of the journey with folks, mm. you know, and share my own space and my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was director of the peace. I think I worked in the peace and justice area for about ten years. Oh, that's a long time. Yes, and it, that came to a screeching halt with the first Gulf War because the bishop was yelling and screaming. We need to go kill those bad guys. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't not be mm-mm. your your representative here. <laughs> so I knew it was time to for to me to move back. out of that. Yeah. So I returned to the monastery. I'd been working in Birmingham and beyond. Mm-hmm. But I returned to the monastery in Calman and and there that was right at the time the college had closed. We had turned some of our buildings into a retreat center. So I began working more and more in that area mm-hmm. and pretty much have done that ever since. Mm. I would say uh, one one change that happened in 92, I found out I had breast cancer. Oh, goodness. And... I was I was 50 years old. I was had used my 50th birthday, realizing 50 is a jubilee year right. in the scripture. Right. So I decided this is jubilee time. <clears throat> what do I need to? I gave myself a nice long retreat and looked at my life and thought, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. if there's an area I needed to improve on. It's some of my attitudes of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but started in, in a different way on the inner journey. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and as I was doing that, I, I was at a retreat center and the nun that was running it told me she was going to go and have physical therapy. Mm-hmm. But the two physical therapists did all kinds of unusual things. She had, been in an auto accident and had hurt her sternum mm-hmm. with the wheel of the car. So she was mm-hmm. going for that purpose. And I thought, I knew I had a lump in my breast. I had been to the doctor who didn't do anything and just said, oh, it's a, I'm sure it's a cyst. Right. So I thought, well, maybe they know something about that. So I go to these physical therapists. They say, 
our understanding is whatever's going on in your body is 1% physical, 9% mental, and 90% spiritual. Hmm. I went, okay. Okay, that's <laughs> a new one to me. <laughs> our, our belief is that a cyst is walled off waste matter. Mm-hmm. So um, my mind is going, walled off waste matter. Okay, what is, what is the waste here? Mm-hmm. And it was a negative kind of attitude that I lived with. Right. That's definitely wasteful. De- definitely, <laughs> definitely wasteful. Oh, more negative and let's let's see if we can unpack this. Mm-hmm. So it began that kind of of a journey. And when they said it was cancerous, I thought, indeed, this is cancerous. Mm. This is cancerous thinking. Mm-hmm. But but it, by identifying it and starting that whole journey, it became a, a gift. Hmm. in shifting me I don't I don't will breast cancer any kind of cancer on anybody and I don't no. think my story is necessarily other people's story right right this is just what How I it impacted you yes mm-hmm. uh, once in a, once in a <clears throat> once in a while when I've told that part of the story people start worrying well is that why I had cancer I'm like, no, 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 that's how you went through it and realized what Mm -hmm. it was meant for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, friends were offering me all different kind of alternative healing. Mm. I had been, uh, working in our retreat center and I had loved yoga and was teaching yoga and, and so it's, it's, tended to be people that were involved in yoga and thinking of body, mind, spirit Mm -hmm. thinking Mm -hmm. offered me various kinds of things to be helpful. And I came through that thinking, I think maybe I should be offering that. Mm. And one of the, one of the that's was massage. Mm. So uh, I became a massage therapist and learned also energy work under the title Healing Touch, mm-hmm. Holistic mm-hmm. Holistic Nurses Association in the area brought a Healing Touch workshop here. And I thought this is, you know, hey, this is interesting. This is good. Right. So for 30 years. <laughs> really? I, re- I retired from that in 2019. Oh, wow. So you just have come off from doing that. Right, in recent years. Mm. From doing all the body work. Mm -hmm. But in my, what I wanted to do and how I saw it was because my own journey was kind of tied up in that to use the modality to offer spiritual direction with whatever somebody chose if they wanted it. Right. So some people did and some people didn't. Right. But, But so often on the table, there was something revealed to that person yeah yeah and you were able to do so, that I mean, through yes your walk yes with Christ. I mean, it was a, a gift to me mm-hmm. a, 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 to me a special part of the gift to me was some much of my work earlier was more administrative kind of work right and in this work i was just totally present to what this person is showing me mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. verbally or energy wise right. 
and just being present to that. And the more I could be centered and present, I've just felt like so I can be a whatever God wants to do for this person. Mm, that's beautiful. Just that's beautiful. May it, may it happen. Yeah. Yes. I thought, let Mary get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of times we, we put self in the way so many times in our life. Um, well, we think we're going to do something. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we need to do, but it's, I don't know, it just gave me a whole different way mm. that, that seemed very helpful to many people. And so you retired from that and you're doing what So now? I retired from that and then um, as I, right as I'm retiring, COVID hit. Mm. That was so fun. So <laughs> I, I finished the massage in December 2019 and then did I? Yep, yep. We all came home. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we had an election of Prioress, and the sister who'd been running our retreat center uh, became the Prioress, and she made me the director of the retreat center. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> New job. <laughs> I said, look, I'll, I'll do this for one year, and then I'm out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a big one responsibility. Year. So I, I did that for a year, and now I'm happily removed i still see people for spiritual direction right and i still am able to do that and enjoy it god has gifted me with a very good physical health mm. so at 80 i don't really feel that i'm that old right you don't I, look, I remember you don't look 80 i never would imagine that you were 80 <laughs> no but i i remember my mother when she was 80 she lived in our retirement home here, mm -hmm. and I gave her a, a Jungian book titled Old Age. Mm -hmm. And she just thought, she looked at the title, and she just laughed, and she showed all her friends, look at what Mary gave me. She thinks I'm old. <laughs> she no more thought she was old at 80, and I, I understand Now that. you know. You know why, because you don't either. <laughs> That's my father. He is 82 this year, and you would never know that he's 80. He's going to be 82. I mean, he's he's physical health, you know, mental health is so on point and his walk with Christ. Yes. And so he, he doesn't look at either. Great. So now you're, I mean, it's wonderful. It's a gift. It is a gift. Yeah. It is a gift. And now like at the retreats and things you do, like you did with us, you come in and share a teaching. Um, and so that's what you're doing now, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Seeing people individually or sometimes. Or in a group time. Things. Yeah. Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. I know I was blessed by it. I was glad I got to be there and was asked to take part in coming. And I'll be back next year. I won't keep coming. <laughs> I told her, I said, okay. yes, I'll just drive. I'll be there. I have no problem. It was a great weekend. Well, Mary, um, Sister Mary, I uh -huh. so appreciate you coming on today and sharing your story. Um, it was a beautiful story. And there was a lot of good times, a little bit of hard times. But God saw you right. through each of those times because you mm -hmm. are dedicated to what he has called you to do. And, um, again, I just thank you. You're very welcome. I feel like I feel totally gifted by God in every way possible. That's beautiful. Thank you for joining my podcast today. We all have a story to share. Each story has purpose and makes an impact to you, the listener creating a journey with passion and purpose. The journey we're taking is the journey within you. Please share with others and subscribe below.